Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Stone and Tile Show. I'm your host, Fred Houston, and uh, yesterday I did a wonderful interview, so I'm not going to take call-ins because I'm going to play you this, this interview with uh, Martin Brooks of Heritage Tile, and once the interview's done playing, I'll come back online, so take a listen. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to another edition of the Stone and Tile Show. I am your host, Fred Houston, and the, the show that you're listening to now is actually pre-recorded. I recorded it yesterday, uh, but we're going to get our interviewee on here in a second. Let me just click him in. And Martin, are you there? Hi, Fred. I'm here. All right, Martin, there you go. Good. This is great. Uh, great news, as I just mentioned. Uh, this is a pre-recorded show, so we're going to pretend like it's tomorrow, <laughs> if that's okay with you. Well, Martin, why don't, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, your company, and uh, what you do, and then we'll get into some, some questions. All right. So um, I'm the owner of Heritage Model and Tiling in Mill Valley, California. I also have another company, Tile Inspection Services, uh, which I founded a few years ago uh, based on the fact that uh, I saw a need for an inspector in my particular region uh, for some of the stuff I see out there. And that that's actually great because there is a lot of it. And, uh, you know, we're going to get into some questions here about, you know, especially when it comes to training and uh, what, what your market is today. So, you know, just kind of give me an overview of what, what are you seeing out there? Well, I see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, you know, I'm seeing, like, jobs that are wow, and I'm seeing other jobs that are not such quite like the wow. And, uh, you know, I'm yet to get a call for somebody to have me go and inspect the work because it looks so great and to write a report on how it meets <laughs> industry true. standards and how perfect it looks. I usually get a call from either a general contractor, a homeowner, or sometimes a tile contractor who thinks he's you know, is being honest and fair and is being held to a higher standard or is having to try to do some work that can't be achieved. So, I, you know, it's like a three-way split. I see all the things, and sometimes the tile contractor's right. He has a valid point. Sometimes the homeowner's right, and sometimes the general contractor's right. Uh, but, you know, these are things that really give the industry a black eye when you get somebody disgruntled with the with the work and they go out and they tell everyone, hey, you don't want to use ceramic porcelain stone um, because it doesn't work out so well. And that's where, you know, I try to come in and try to help the tile community in not losing that market share to LVT or wood or some other medium and try to hold it back in where we need it and tell them that, you know, it is a durable surface that works really well and will last for years. I mean, any tile job should need to be ripped out before it fails, you should get sick and tired of seeing it before you need to replace it. Exactly. And uh, that's, exactly. that's not always the case these days. 
I, I think so what that do you, what we do, you... do look at it as a temporary surface, though, Fred, and, and I think that's one of the issues there. Rather than looking at it as part of the structure and being a permanent thing in the house, that, you know, we have some installers out there who see it more temporary, and they do treat it like linoleum or some other product that is more temporary and, and, and not there for the long haul. And I agree with you 100%. I mean, if we look at some of the buildings in Europe uh, that have been there for hundreds and hundreds of years, I mean, it's the original installation. We don't see much of yes. that here. So, what what specifically are are you seeing? Let's talk about some of the some of the uh, problems briefly. You know, what are the most common problems you're seeing? Well, one of the uh, issues, and it goes back to a program that you had earlier this year, the Pasha Sterikov. I hope I've not messed his name up there, but uh, Pasha was very passionate about some of the problems he was seeing with the staining white marble or translucent stone in a shower pan. And yeah. I'm getting about five to six calls a month on the same issue. And wow. I, I don't do destructive testing, but I go in there with my equipment and I'm usually able to identify with, you know, with my camera, with, I have a FLIR camera with my uh, moisture meter. And with other tools, I'm able to identify that we do have moisture on, underneath the tile. And one of the main um, things that is consistent is it's a topical membrane. And that's what I'm seeing. And I'm not blaming the topical membrane manufacturers. I'm looking at more of an installation issue where the right. installer is a little yeah. lax or he doesn't understand directional troweling or is not getting the full contact with the thin set adhesive and his stone and is leaving the canals and, and uh, ways that water can migrate throughout that assembly. And that is, I can say, nine out of 10 calls I get are on a topical membrane system. I do get them for water in, water out, and they're a little easier to resolve based on the fact that weeps are either non-existent, weep protectors non-existent, or the weeps are blocked, or they have wrinkles in the shower pan or some other things. They're a little bit easier for me to detect, whereas this one has been a real head scratcher. I mean, we're looking mm -hmm. at things like, is the, does the resin play into it on the back of the stone? Uh, you know, with using high-performance grouts, do they act as, act as a capillary break now? Because, you know, one of the questions is, why does it not migrate sometimes to another tile? Why is it always on the grout line and in a grid pattern? And, uh, you know, I, I, I thought about that a lot, and I came up with the, with the assumption that the high-performing grouts we use these days are so dense and so hard, they act as a capillary break, so the water will migrate the other way. The water will take the path of least resistance. And so if it hits something hard like that, really dense grout, it's just going to want to go backwards and, and maybe up the wall. You start to see it wicking up the wall. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I go in there and the contractor's at his wit's end. He does not know why this is happening. And, uh, you know, I think with the knowledge that I have of, and the experience of looking at these right now, and it's not always uh, go in there and make your mind up immediately. There's a lot of questions to ask. And there's a lot of problem-solving things you have to do first and then come up with a, a valid reason why this is happening. And then a light bulb goes off, usually with a contractor, and they say, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. And on the other hand, I've had contractors who said they put weed protectors in and had them take out tile while I've stood there, and there's no weed protector in there. And it's just losing focus. They send guys out, and the guy has 50 weed protectors in the back of his van because he's never put one in. 
and the, <laughs> and the guy who's doing the math is never checking the back of the van to see what he's doing with those because they don't really understand the importance of it. It's a simple thing, but it really is important to, to how that system operates. And we're all going fast. We've all got plenty of work. We've got enough work to last us almost like, you know, to infinity right now. But what I'm seeing is that nobody's paying attention and checking. And everyone's trying to go too fast right now. And that's one of the things that we have to be cautious of especially if you're referral-based and your reputation is key, is you never want to lose that reputation because that's what sees you through a recession. And that's the, th that's the saving part of this industry is the referrals and, and, the, and the, the, the competency and knowing that you produce every job the same with quality work is really important to stay focused on that and not, like, not let the money take over. Not let the financial gains take over what your core mission is as a company. And I think you're right. That happens all, all too often. And the, you know, the work Pasha is doing is, you know, he, he emails me quite often with his photographs, as I'm sure he does to you. And uh, it's, 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 we're getting some really interesting results. So I, I haven't yep. completely formulated an opinion yet. Uh, I'm waiting to see what what all is going to happen because there's so many variables that you just you just pointed out. So uh, I would say to the folks out there to stay tuned and uh, you know we'll 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 uh, keep you updated into what's going on. So with that said, let let's say you're, uh, as yourself you're an installer and you know you you want to do quality work. I mean that hopefully that's what your goal is. You will you know I, I agree you don't want to go in there and fast pace it and get your check and run because pretty soon you won't be getting any work. So what would you recommend as for, you know, selling a good quality job? Well, I've, I've been in business since 96. Uh, I've been installing tiles since 1978. And uh, so, you know, I've had a, even though I had a formal apprenticeship program, went to college in the UK, I still had a lot to learn. And even starting my own company, uh, you know, a good mechanic, but a poor businessman. So I had to learn through the school of hard knocks too, uh, in learning what profit and markup and overhead is and figuring that into my business plan. And, uh, in around probably about 15 years ago right now. So 2004, 2003, I got myself into a pickle, uh, ended up in a lawsuit. It was my fault. I accepted responsibility, told the GC I would fix it. The GC decided that uh, he wanted to fight it in a court of law, and uh, of course he lost, and I lost with him. Even though I was willing to rectify the work at probably five, $6,000, it cost me over $30,000 in litigation and having to fix the, the work. So that was a, a lesson for me. So I started to, it was the beginning of like, so, you know, looking online, finding resources. I came across NTCA, uh, National Tile Contractors Association, and decided to join. Um, I contacted them, spoke with them. They gave me good, solid advice, and I started to then interact with them on a regular basis. And uh, they'd not really made headways on the West Coast, and uh, I thought this was a great opportunity for like-minded people like myself to get more involved and to uh, understand from other people the mistakes that I made so that I could pass the information on and hopefully stop somebody making the mistakes that I made. And that's where I found a group of guys that I really connected with. And we started, uh, you know, I started getting more involved, going to covering surfaces, 
uh, Total Solutions and uh, became um, um, regional director for Northern California, uh, grew membership uh, heavily here in the Bay Area, and then um, I became uh, an executive board member. I'm currently vice president for the NTCA, and I love it. It's a place where I go for information. I love the events. I love the training and education that they provide, regional trainings. Um, it's more than you know, just a membership to a trade association. It's a resource that I feel is very valuable in my business life and also personal life with the friends I've made and the mentoring. I mean, I don't know uh, everything by no means, I, but I know somebody who knows the answer to the question when, it's, when, it, when I'm faced with it, that I can make a call like yourself and you will give me a plausible answer to that question without shooting it off the top of my head. So it gives me that resource and the connections within the industry of, of, uh, of very, very um, well-versed people who can give me a plausible answer that I can take back. And, that, and that's great advice. I can remember I started in this business right around the same time you did as well. And, God, I can remember back in the day, I'm sure you can too, that everything we did uh, in, you know, whether it's installation or, or fabrication, whatever, was a big secret. And, you know, organizations oh, yeah. like the NTCA are really nice now because more and more people, you know, especially with social media today, everybody's sharing uh, their thoughts, you know, good or bad. But there's there's some great advice out there. You know, so I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'm, I'm glad to see that's finally that's finally hap happening. So you and know, I, that, that I, I agree with the yeah with the social yeah. media. I mean, that really, I see that as you've got to pick your way through the minefield. But there are people who are very uh, uh, educated within the industry that are continually posting good advice out there. Uh, yeah. That if you even take time just to read it, you will. There's a great takeaway from it that will help you in your business, like like Luke Miller for one, uh, with uh, Tile Money. I mean, I think yes, that I him bringing uh, Tile Money to the forefront and having, I mean, this industry is so artisanal that most guys are just one bucket guys. They are, and I, you know, I only have uh, six employees. I'm not a large company, uh, but you know, I think they feel disenfranchised from the industry as a whole. But they have to realize. They are the uh, they are the majority within the industry. It's a lot of bucket and trowel guys that are just trying to make a living. And if you can get to them and just say, hey, rather than make a living, run this as a business for profit. Uh, put some aside for that rainy day. Don't work paycheck to paycheck. And I think, again, that's where NTCA is able to educate people into, even if you're a small bucket and trowel guy, into running it like a business, not just paycheck to paycheck. You know, you know, which is a good point. I agree with you. I actually interviewed Luke a couple of weeks ago on my show, and a uh, great guy. He, he provides some great information on his podcast. But, you know, you, you brought up an interesting point. You know, a lot of the guys out there, and I would probably say, you know, based on my experience, most of them are small companies. Um, you know, there, there's a handful of very, very large companies, but most of them are small companies. When it comes to education, uh, you know, how, what would your advice be to these guys? Well, of course, I you know, I don't want to promote heavily NTCA, but it would be join NTCA, uh, the apprenticeship program, the regional training, the, the, the workshops, the roadshows. I mean, everything that they offer for the small contractor fits right in there. You know, it's, uh, there's so much value in being part of the trade association that you can take away and use in your business life. And if you are a small, it doesn't matter that you're a bucket and trowel guy. 
there, there, there is so much to take away and that you can use in, 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 your, in your workplace. Um, it really is amazing. I mean, I have my guys attend all the workshops, the regional trainings, uh, just so we're ahead of, of, of the crowd and that we understand not to make those mistakes. I mean, you know, it's, it's construction. We're all going to make mistakes, right? It's not a perfect right. world. But it stops you making the big mistakes that cost you dearly and, and, and takes you out. I mean, I and you, you as yourself as a, as a consultant and inspector, you go out there. It breaks my heart sometimes to go out there and know that the guy can't, is living paycheck to paycheck and he can't afford to fix this. And this is how he makes a living. And it's like I don't want to go out there and hurt the guy, but I want to guide him in a place where he won't make the same mistake again and that he can actually make a living and no, because a lot of times I go out to the work and the work looks perfect. And as we all know, it's not how perfect the work looks, right. it's how imperfect <laughs> the preparation is behind it. So some guys make the job look beautiful, but they don't realize the mistakes are behind and it's hurting them. And they're really good mechanics, but they're just poorly educated in the way that the systems work. And I've seen this as new, I mean, again, last 10 years, the industry's moved at light speeds. I mean, I, you know, it's like it used to be a very basic trade, and now it's uh, being book smart is part of our our education. We need to read the books, and we need to know the standards, and we need to get our heads in that book to understand how these systems and components work and interact with each other. And a lot of times, it's, I'm going out to the old guys, the old timers, who have not adapted to today's world and are falling short. They have the skills, but they don't have the education to make those systems work. And that's that's extremely important because I, I see I see the same thing. I mean, you know, you you talk about education. You know, we're, we're dealing with a lot of new products. You know, that we haven't used in the past, especially some of the the old timer guys that are used to using just you know unmodified thin set. Now they're trying to yeah. you know use unmodified thin set on resin back materials and porcelain materials and materials that don't have any absorbency to it. It just doesn't work. And I agree. They they make it look real good, but then all of a sudden you and I get a call saying, why are tiles popping up? Why are they failing? You right. know, so, uh, right. you know, definitely. You know, and I, which found that, uh, I was just adding to that. I found that the, one of the uh, most educated installers that I reach out to are the ones who have had a failure and they've got, it's too late, but then they start to read up what they should have done. And when you start asking them questions, it's like, well, how come it fails? Because they give you verbatim from the book how it should be done. And it's like, you know, they're not telling you the truth. It's like, right. come on, guys, stop it. Just, I can't help you unless you tell me the truth. But they've gone to the book. They've seen how they should have done it. And they read verbatim how it should have been done. And it's like, no, you wouldn't have a failure had you done it that way. But, uh, you know, it's, it's like you want I, – I, my goal is to get to them before that point so that they don't fail and they can put money in the pocket. And, uh, and avoid being in a lawsuit like, like you had mentioned before, which uh, I've, Very seen that put a lot of, I've seen them put a lot, of, a lot of small guys out of business as well. So, so that brings yep. us to where do manufacturers fit into this whole, whole scenario? Um, well, you know, whether it's the tile manufacturer, the membranes, the thin sets, whatever. I think we have uh, two types of manufacturers, the ones who heavily participate and the ones who just want to sell material and, and tile. And uh, we all know who the ones who heavily participate. They're, they're very generous. They offer trainings. They'll, they'll put people up in hotels, uh, you know, and they, they really, I mean, you know, some of it is a sales pitch. 
but a lot of it is education on getting you in and getting you interested and, and, and getting you excited about the product and how to use it. And I think one of the, the, the big uh, motivation, motivational things in the industry has been CTI through the CTEF, through the Ceramic yes. Tile Education Foundation. And the ceramic tile installer is, um, you know, we're, it's being um, pushed quite heavily right now to get it more so out there. I think they have 1,600 or so uh, certified installers right now. And uh, honestly, with how many installers are out there, there should be a lot more. But once oh, people yeah. uh, have a taste for that, I mean, these guys have it tattooed on their arms and, and, you know, they're really proud. And so they should be because even though it looks simple, I think uh, some people feel it's so simple that why should we take it? It's not going to make us any better, but it's not about that. It's, it's about the, the, the time management. It's about, you know, it's not just the skill set alone. It's being book smart. It's having, you know, the, 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 the skills to be able to lay it all out and put it all together in, in a short period of time. And I think that unless you take it and you understand it, um, a lot of guys just feel like it's too simple. And I know through social media, a lot of guys, it's been a wake-up call because they've been doing tile all their life and they go and take it and they don't pass. And uh, then they, they post like, wow, this is a really tough uh, test. It's not that easy. And, and so you get momentum from that and then they all start to challenge each other. But hats off to all the guys who are CTI. I mean, you, you deserve to be uh, recognized as being the best of the best because you truly are Absolutely. taking that test and, and, and mastering it. And that also becomes a good marketing, uh, you know, marketing for, for your company and for them as well. Yes. I mean, it stays with the installer. Not, I mean, I have two CTIs, yeah. and it stays with them. So it really uh, makes them feel proud about, I mean, my we, we went uh, full on too. We did the ACT too. So I have two guys who are ACT also, the advanced craft. Uh, and so they feel really proud and looked upon locally as like icons. I mean, you know, it, it gains a lot of respect. Uh, how could you not respect them? Uh, you know, they've, they've attained something that others, you know, just either poo-poo or they can't, they can't pass the, they can't pass the test. So I would say if you fail, though, keep trying. Never give up. Keep going and going and going and challenge yourself to, to pass that test. We have uh, Heidi Cronin right now from the Pacific Northwest who's kind of spearheading this, and she'll be, uh, you know, coming out with more trainings, more education uh, throughout the country. Uh, so you, you, I think you're going to see more exposure to CTI, and it's going to be pushed more heavily. And I agree. You know, I had, I had an old man one tell me one time about education and seminars. He said, if you go into a seminar or any kind of an educational event and you pick up one thing, just one thing, it was worth it. And, yeah, you know, exactly. even, to this, yeah. even to this day, I mean, this industry, I've been in it as long as you have. And, you know, I'm sure you'll agree with me. We learn something all the time. Uh, it's a yeah. continuing, uh, continuing, especially with the new materials and that coming out. So let, let's talk a little bit of business, and let's talk about about profit, a little bit of profit. Now, I'm not asking you to give out prices or anything like that, which <laughs> I know a lot of guys want you to do, and uh, it's just it's so it's so varied from you know uh, geographical area to geographical area. So we won't get into that, but uh, you know th these guys. I mean, uh, talk to me a little bit about profit. You know, I, you know how you structure that. It's not a bad word, is it? <laughs> no. Well. I'm Please that you touched on that, Fred, because one thing I'm going to advise guys to do out there on social media, stop disclosing what your prices are, what you make, how much you should make. Leave that 
to yourself and yourself only, put a lock and key on it and keep it there. Uh, first of all, we're very regional, and even within the region, we, we have micro economies. So like me in the San Francisco, really in San Francisco, is different than somebody on the, in the suburbs of San Francisco. But right. that is really dangerous to go down and start disclosing how much someone else makes or how much you make. Or, you know, it's like I, I, I really like makes me cringe when I see that on social media because yeah, I think me, me too. really it, it's like what you're – You've got to work out what your costs are, what your raw costs are, what your profit and overhead, and what it's going to take to run your business. And then you can come up with a cost. It shouldn't be based on what someone else is charging per square foot. And we got out of the square foot pricing years ago because that, in my field of high-end residential, that just doesn't work. It's not, uh, you know, you can no. dissect it backwards. I mean, I can work it back and tell you how much, but I can tell you most people would fall off the stool once they saw the cost per square foot is after I take it backwards from what my bid is. But that's, not, that's no one else's business. I'm there to run a business, to make profit, to, to keep my guys happy, make sure that they're well taken care of, and to be sustainable in, in a downturned economy as well as sustainable in a vibrant economy because they, they both have problems. They're different problems, but they both have problems. And knowing when not to take a job and when to take a job. Sometimes the best job you get is the one you didn't take. And that's where uh, I never feel the pressure into feeding the machine to feel like I have to take the next job. And that's been one of my stumbling blocks to growing the company is then you start to feed the machine and then you're forced into taking a job rather than wanting to take that job. And so I've always been very conscientious about that and cautious about taking on more people uh, and, and losing control of the company. So it's really important to me that we stay quality focused, that my guys feel happy where they work, they feel like they're uh, appreciated, they get the training and education they need, and, and with that cake mix, with it all together, usually comes out a nice tasting cake. And for me, that, I'm happy with that. Uh, my company runs like clockwork. I have very good employees who uh, responsible and I can send them out on the job site and they take care of everything. And, you know, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't wish for more, but it's staying so, focused and, and not letting the money take over the, you know, the, the focus and realize there are other comp I mean, money is of course important, but there are other places to focus on as well. Exactly. So, so how do you, that brings up an interesting question that I, that I just happened to think about. And that is, yeah, I don't know if you run into this in your, in your neck of the woods, but you know, we do here in the South and that's how, how do you deal with the, the, the low baller, you know, your competition, in other words, just going out there and just, you know, giving away their work or seems to be giving away their work. How, how do you handle that? Well, I figure through attrition, they'll take themselves out of business. It's, it's not sustainable. Uh, usually, uh, my observations are those guys just, you know, they, they, they set up shop, uh, everything's 1099 or piecework, uh, subcontracted out, uh, it goes pear-shaped, they just close up, set up a new shop, two months later they're back in business again. You can't stop that. It's like chopping a limb off a tree and then five other limbs grow. You can't stop that. What you need to do is identify yourself in the marketplace you're in as being the quality go-to guy. Now, we have contractors who chooses 80% of the time, but there's some jobs that they know that they can't use us just because the price point won't allow it. 
And I'm okay with that. I understand that. It's a job I don't want anyway. If I can't make profit right. and it's, it's being driven down through, you know, outside sources that I have no control over. I re- and we have a mutual understanding that I'm not offended if you go somewhere else and you give that job away. At least you've recognized it's not the right job for me. And I appreciate that. I'm not offended at all. And I think having that kind of relationship with your general contractor is really important. Now, in the recession, I had a couple of contractors that stopped using us for a few months, went somewhere else, and then came back quickly when they realized that it didn't save them any money. Because first of all, they had to put a project manager over them 24-7 looking at the work because they couldn't manage themselves. And even with a project manager, they were having problems with the quality of work and they couldn't get them back to fix it. So then they realized the true value of hiring Heritage Marble and Pile, who stands behind his work, who costs a little bit more, but he's going to come back and fix things, and he doesn't have the added cost of a project manager having to concentrate on that one particular sub. So there is value there that once you – they have to – again, it's a, it's, it's a learning uh, cycle for them. But once they pencil in the numbers and they realize they actually cost them money, they didn't save anything – then they come back with the tail between the legs and, you know, a couple of them openly apologize and said, we'll never do that again. Uh, but we won't know till the next recession. It may happen again. It may not. But at least we've established ourselves as the go-to guys in, in the neighborhood who turn out quality work that, that offer value, true value, may cost a little bit more, but there's value associated with it. And that's actually a good point. I'm glad you had mentioned that because I know a lot of general contractors out there that are that are they're, they're judged based on how good their subs are. So if mm-hmm. there's a uh, something a sub done wrong, you know, like a tile installer does wrong, not only if it involves a lawsuit, not only do you get sued, but your general contractor gets sued. So it not only costs you money, it costs them money as well. So, uh, you know, uh, point well, well taken. To, to touch on that, uh, to touch on that, Fred, I. I went to a, a job inspection for a track home builder uh, about a month ago, and it, it was a guy who was traveling over 100 miles one way, 200 miles round trip to do the track home builder's work at, at, at a cost that was probably costing him. If he was to take in his, his wear and tear on his vehicle, his cost of gas, his bridge tolls, whether he's paying his guys travel or not, I don't know. But uh, I saw the numbers, and it's like, you've got to be nuts. You are, I, I mean, I would start, I'd rather stay at home. It'd make more money sat on the sofa watching the soaps than he would traveling to work. And it's like, it doesn't make wow. sense. But they, wow. they found a new guy on the block who just got it. I checked his license, you know, been in business less than two years. They found a new guy who they can hook in and promise him all this work. And he's already having problems. I mean, I looked at the quality of work. It was really bad. All, the whole thing had to be tore out. And so he only needs a few of those, and he's gone. He's not – I mean, honestly, he could come and work for me and make more money than he is working for the home builder. And, and, but they're seeing the large – you know, they're seeing the, the, the large development of 500 homes, and they're looking at the number as a whole rather than individual and not understanding their exposure. Most condominium town-owned developments in California will go in litigation on the ninth year because the statute of limitations is 10 years, and he will get dragged into that lawsuit whether he likes it or not. Workmanship is not covered under liability insurance. He's going to be out of pocket. He's going to have to defend that, whether at fault or not, because he will get brought into it just as a doe because he's got, you know, maybe a nuisance claim, but he'll get brought into litigation that he has got no money set aside for that. Again, cost of doing business, right? Set some aside for an insurance claim later. 
is not is just working paycheck to paycheck and it's going to cost him dearly and it will put him out of business and yep. then you know he's back to square yeah. one now his reputation's gone his his credit score's gone he's bankrupt i mean where where'd you start where how do you pick yourself up from that that's absolutely true, and I agree with that 100%. So, you know, a couple of uh, a couple of times you mentioned, you know, your 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 employees and how good you have them, but I know a lot of contractors out there, not just in our business, but in a lot of the contracting trades, they uh, they have trouble retaining employees. What's your advice there? How do you keep your good guys? Well, I think uh, when you get a good guy, you've got to make sure he feels appreciated and that you value him. And that is not just a, 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 a you know a worker. I think you have to do. I mean, team building is really key. I mean, if you can put a team together that works really well together, that that really is the key. Uh, making sure they feel valued. I mean, they go out every day. They got the shirts on. They you know they have new trucks. I mean, they they, they didn't have new trucks till the the economy turned around. They were driving around in old trucks, but. They are company-owned trucks that they, they get to use and go to and from work and use at weekends. They, they, they keep them nice and clean uh, because they want to use them at weekends too and they want to take the girlfriends or the, or the wives out in the car. I allow them in the truck. I allow them to do that. Uh, but just making them feel proud and I uh, never push my guys into it. I, I roughly know how long it's going to take, but if it goes over, it's okay. It can go over. I just don't want to push them into turning out work that I have to go back and fix because that's where your money's lost. I mean, I'd rather keep a, a guy a day longer on a job than take a week to tear it out and replace it. And, you know, that simple math for me is like, okay, it's taking a day longer. I have money in the job. That's fine. It takes a day longer rather than rushing in and then finding out we got to tear the whole thing out. It's costing me thousands. So I think uh, making sure that, uh, you know, that they, they feel part of a team and, something that they feel proud about coming to work to and for is really important. And, and once you get that mindset going, that culture within the company, the company will run itself. Uh, it'll take a lot of pressure. I mean, I wear a lot of hats. I, I do the bookkeeping. I do the estimates. I'll drop off materials from time to time. On top of that, doing my inspections. So, you know, I've got a lot of uh, multitasking to do myself, but it's something I'm able to take care of on top of that. My commitment to NTCA as uh, as vice president and going to the events and participating in in calls and and uh, you know it's a uh, it, it's a lot but I enjoy it it's something that I enjoy and I'm willing to give back to also so you know it's like a win-win for me I've found the sweet spot uh, had I grown to 12 15 guys the sweet spot might not have been so sweet but I have found my sweet spot where it feels it feels good and I'm proud of what I've um, achieved with my guys and the company that I've been able to build. Although it not be a big one, it's like I'm proud of the, you know, and the, the achievements, like the guys they've installed at the designer showcase at uh, Coverings. Uh, Gabriel uh, did a job that won the five-star, the NTCA five-star award. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of accolades that they've also been rewarded with through their hard work. You know, and I agree with you when it comes to employees. I mean, sometimes just a simple thank you is, is you know, is, is all it takes. And it's so many yep. owners do not do not either. They just don't appreciate their employees. So I agree with you there. You know, also I I think you hit on something that that's kind of a a uh, an issue that I've always seen. And um, if you don't mind a little story, I'll tell you a little story about a neighbor I had years ago who was a painter, and it was him and his wife. 
and him and his wife, you know, they were interior painters, and they did really well. He had all the toys. He had the motorcycles. He had the jet skis. He had the, the boats, and every weekend they were out playing. Well, one day I noticed that his truck was gone. And I went over and talked with him, and I said, you know, his name was Floyd. Floyd, what's going on? He said, oh, we landed this huge contract. I'm so happy. We're going to be doing all these houses, blah, 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 blah. Well, guess what happened? <laughs> that boat sat there. The jet seas got, got there. He didn't ride his motorcycle anymore. And about a year later, he came to me and said, that's it. I made less money being bigger than I did when I was comfortable. And right. I think you hit the right. nail right on the head. You know, that's great yeah, advice. Maintain your comfort level. And that's a tough level. one. Yeah, moving up to the next step, uh, you know, I'd need project manager, I'd need more office staff rather than myself, and you know that all adds overhead. And how do you work that overhead into your into your pricing? I mean, it, it's like I've I've been able to take advantage of today's technology. So you know, QuickBooks is a big one for me. T sheets. Uh, you know, I use a lot of uh, programs. I everything is done pretty much on my computer, and it takes away from a live person. I don't need that live person doing running payroll. I do payroll myself every Monday. I do workers comp, which is attached to my QuickBooks. So it takes it out weekly. I so I have no big premium to pay up front. And, uh, you know, I've been able to research and implement all these things into my business life that makes running my business a, a lot more doable for me just as one person who takes care of, you know, the administrative side. So, you know, if you want to stay small, there's a way to do it and still maximize your profit by not having all that overhead if you if you want to do that. If you if you seek it out and feel free to contact me and I'll show you my system and how I've made it work. But, uh, you know, I, I've been able to do that quite efficiently now uh, for many years and it works for me. It may not work for everyone, but it works for me. Right. And, you know, if, if it's not broken, don't fix it is what I always say. Yeah. So let let's since we're on the we're on the, the the employee thing. So let let's say you get a new guy. I mean, do you, do you look for experienced guys? Do you train your guys? I mean, how do you deal with with the, with the new guy or girl? Well, we've two ways. I mean, we've we've tried the uh, we've tried the 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 guy who comes with experience. Usually, we find the guy who comes with experience is not as experienced as he's like to think he, yep. he is. And <laughs> exactly. in this econ, and in this economy, is wanting too much money for where his skill set is. And so we give him a chance. We tell them we're going to have to drop his, uh, his 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 hourly rate till he can prove to us that he's worth more and that he can make more. And usually, they move on to the next one because there's no need. There's plenty of work to go around now. But even the bad guys can move on and find a job that fits what they need to make an hour. Uh, you know, and that's not a guy that I particularly want. I want someone who's willing to learn and to be able to uh, get something from what my guys have learned along the way and what they can pass on. So he can become better. And it, if he stayed long enough, he would actually benefit because he could move on and then take that skill set with him and command more money. But, you know, we've got a lot of short-term thinkers in the industry who are looking at the dollar amount rather than the experience and what they can get from the industry to move on and advance their career later. So the young guy, we're not, uh, we're not looking for any one right now. I mean, our, our neighborhood, is, it's, it's a very affluent neighborhood, and kids are not really encouraged to go into the trades. It's still looked down upon, and you know, they all want a college degree, and they all want to go to the East Coast to an Ivy League school. So, but my advice is if you're looking for that guy, you know, go into your high school and, and try to recruit. But again, NTCA as a 
as the Department of Labor approved apprenticeship program that Becky Serbin's been working hard on putting together, which you as a one bucket shop can actually now have an apprenticeship program that's Department of Labor approved with your company. You will be the administrator of it, but you, there is an apprenticeship program, which is part of the benefits package being part of NTCA that you can use and that you can give them rather than learning off like Frank, who goes out every day, who's probably been doing it wrong for the last 25 years, but doesn't know. Mm -hmm. You've got a book that you can tick off the items that you've passed along the way to industry standards, which gives you something tangible that you can take with you when you leave. And I think that's the key right there is rather than it being a trade that you come in, you just learn off somebody who you work with and probably, you know, is teaching you incorrectly. You've got something now that's an asset that you can take with you and you can be proud of. And it's like, hey, I did the NTCA apprenticeship program. And, uh, you know, you, you've got something that you, you can show people and that is an asset to you that you can take along with you throughout your life. And whether you stay in the trades or not, you've got something that you can always have and fall back on. Uh, I agree with that. I've got two more questions for you. Uh, the first question is, what piece of advice would you give either someone starting new in this industry or even someone that's been in this industry for a while to succeed in this business? I think mentoring. I mean, I, 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 I like to mentor. I get a lot from it. I get a lot from giving, so it's in my personality to feel that way. But try to find out a, a local person who's really perfected the business and the trade and ask him if, he, if he's willing to mentor you and join a trade association like the NTCA and get involved and, and look at, upon it as a profession rather than just a, a means and a way to make money. Look at it as a profession. Look at it, how you can grow. How I mean, I started in 97 on my knees. And, you know, I, I mean, I think the highest employees I, I've uh, had is 12, maybe 15 and then drop back down when, again, when I did crunch the numbers and found out I was actually making less money with, with 15 than I was with six. So it didn't make sense. But, right. <laughs> you know, I was on my knees for many years uh, installing tile as a one-bucket guy till I could move on, find out the key employees who was able to take care of the installation side, and I could take care of the business side. And, again, surrounding myself and, with again, you know, reaching out to NTCA and finding like-minded people who I was able to, to pick the brains and they were able to mentor me and I was able to get takeaways from really helped me. And, you know, it's that, it's that first conversation when you go in there and, and uh, you start uh, asking the questions and, and uh, you know, it's like, was it you that made that mistake? And it's like, well, you know, you're like, all oh. and it's like, you know, I, I, it, there came a point when I, I was not ashamed. Yes, I did make those mistakes. And then I realized they'd make the same mistakes too. And we'd all learn the hard way. And that's when I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if I could get a guy who's new and just starting out in business, if I could catch him early enough and just tell, and just show him that, you know, it, it is a imperfect world out there and there are mistakes to be made, but I can, have, I can help you avoid making those costly mistakes. I can help you navigate your way through this without making those costly mistakes. Are you going to make mistakes? Sure. You're always going to make mistakes. It's construction. But avoiding those costly mistakes that either take you out or they cost you for years to come is really important. And it's really important to hook up with someone who's willing to help you navigate your way through that and mentor you. And, uh, you know, because I, I look upon uh, competitors, good competitors, as my friends. They're the people who drive the cost up, not down. I'm not, uh, I'm not bothered at all when uh, 
when my friends get a job that I bid on, and I think good for them. I, I'm pleased they got that job rather than the lowball guy who's driving the cost down. I mean, I, it's like I see because of the title inspection services and heritage, it's like pay me now or pay me later. So you either give me the right. job or hire me later as an inspector. Right. There's a bit of, exactly. I know there's a bit of conflict there, but you know, a lot of jobs that I look at, uh, it's like, well, you know, the homeowner has a little bit of baggage here to carry because you took the low bid. And uh, I think that we looked upon, uh, you know, as a, as an item rather than a trade. So, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll think that uh, five bids and they're all equal and, all the five people have the same skill set, not realizing one's really good and one's really bad, but they're looking at the right. dollar number rather than the skill set. And they're not, you know, consumers tend not to do the homework when financial incentives uh, get in the way. Even the smartest people, I've noticed, will make financial decisions over common sense issues. I mean, we have a pretty big social media and uh, uh, web. Uh, presence on the achievements and who we are as a company. It only takes a couple of minutes to find out we're more than qualified to do that job, but yet they'll still go to a guy who has no web presence and no history, no reviews, and they'll pick him based on the fact that he's half the cost. And then they get half the job and then they call tile inspection services up and I tell them it's X amount for me to write a report and come and inspect the job. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, that, that is the, the part, the disconnect right there. So anyone who's listening out there who's in the Bay Area, and, uh, you know, wants to contact me, feel free to do so. Why don't you give me your, uh, your contact information now while you're bringing it up? It's uh, martin at heritagemarbletile.com or 415-548-0483. And please pick my brains about the benefits of NTCA also about how I've gained uh, both personally and in, in my business life through being a member of NTCA uh, because I think it's really important to be part. If you're going to invest in an industry, I think you also need to be part of a trade association uh, within that industry to be relevant and to get the information and know where the industry is going. It's really important to stay connected. And the only connection that I have between my business and what's happening out there is through NTCA. That gives me, I get to see materials. I get to know what's going on in the industry way before the regular tile installer does just by being connected and getting involved and applying myself. Absolutely, I agree. So my last question for you, where do you see the industry going in the future here? Well, I see more tile being installed. Uh, I see larger format tiles. Uh, we did a job last year that was a four foot by four foot uh, uh, full thickness uh, porcelain tile. And so I, I think that the, the, the industry, the manufacturing, tile manufacturing industry is going to push these larger sizes and designers are pushing it too. Uh, so, and, and that uh, is more challenging. Uh, you know, I see some mistruths out there about larger the tile, cheaper to install. Well, it's actually the complete opposite. Larger the tile, the less uh, tolerances within the substrate and the more difficult it is to install. Uh, one of the things I see is that people aren't ordering enough tile. They don't realize there's more waste on a larger format tile. And so they cut it too thin they, they, and then they're struggling at the end. They don't have enough tile. So guys, be aware of the waste that's needed for large format tile. You may throw four or five feet away on those gauge porcelain panels, a way that you can't use. Uh, 
this. So you need to make sure that you order enough and that you allow the time and the labor to install those tiles. A gauge porcelain panel, you need at least three guys to four guys to, to move it, especially if you're working on scaffold, to move it around and, and get it installed. So get your head in the book, understand the industry, get trained, get the education, and that will be a win-win. Uh, if you're looking at putting you know, six, 700 square feet down a day, good luck. Uh, because I don't think that this current world will accept that quality anymore. We're, we're, no. we're raising the bar on the quality. People are expecting more, consumers are expecting more. So, you know, it's not just like lick and stick anymore. We're being held to a higher standard. And we don't want to lose that market share to other mediums out there. We need to keep the ceramic porcelain stone industry vibrant. We need to keep it keep it moving forward and keep you know keep the momentum there by good installs, good quality installs. And I, I agree with you. And Martin, I want to thank you for your time. That was some great information, and I encourage anyone listening out there to uh, contact you uh, if you want any more information. So, Martin, I will see you again soon, hopefully at one of the trade shows. And thanks again. I hope so, Fred. It's been a pleasure, Fred. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. All right, folks, there you have it. Okay, folks, there you have it. That was a recorded section that I did uh, did yesterday. Great interview, and uh, then again, thank you, Martin. That was great. Okay, uh, a couple of things I want announcements I want to make. Uh, of course, my video blog. I started a video blog. I think I'm up to like 14 or 15 video blogs. If you go to YouTube and search the Stone and Tile video blog, or just send me an email at fhouston, F-H-U-E-S-T-O-N, at gmail.com, and I'll be more than happy to send you a link uh, to, that, to those video blogs. I really enjoy doing those, and it kind of compliments this show as well. Also, I want to announce, if I haven't already, my seminar, my inspection and troubleshooting seminar coming up uh, this next year, January 27th to 30th in fabulous Las Vegas. If anyone's interested, drop me an email there. Also, if anyone out there wants to be interviewed on the show, you have something to uh, to share with us or know someone has something to share with us, or you just uh, have, a, have a topic you'd like me to cover, feel free to uh, contact me as well. Okay, folks, thanks for listening. And until next time, keep setting those tiles, polishing that stone, and fabricating those tops. Later, my friends. <laughs>